Hello, and welcome back to Restless. My name is Lauren, and I'm joined by Father Joseph Gill and Diane as we restlessly seek the face of God. You know, I just feel like I keep hearing this all the time, that people are searching, they want more, they continue to get more accolades and more success, but they're not content. They are restless. They are restless, and so are we. So are we. That's why we're here. Um, Kind of like the three kings, the three wise men. They were definitely restless. It caused them to get out of their comfort zone and go seek after someone. Something more, right? These were, I believe, astrologists. Yes, magi. Highly respected, very smart, and yet they sought more. They were restless. They did. And that's what we're here to talk about today, Epiphany. Yes, coming right up this coming Sunday. It's one of the great feasts. In fact, it's the fourth most important feast in the church year. So can you list the top four most important feasts in order? Nativity? No. Easter? Easter's first. Yeah, Easter's first. Sorry. Baptism? No, the second one is Nativity, you know, the okay. Christmas. But third one, not many people know. What is the third most important feast? Christ the King? No. It closes the Easter season. Oh, Pentecost? Pentecost, yeah, Pentecost. Oh, Birthday one. of the church, coming of the third person of the Trinity. Yeah, pretty important. But Epiphany is number four in large part because it is indeed a revelation of Christ to the nations, which really is the fulfillment of what Israel is. Israel is supposed to be a light to the nations. And and they, uh, they, they ended up kind of shirking that duty a little bit in part because have to, having been you know in their land for so long, they kept going after these false gods, the, the pagan gods of the surrounding nations. And so God kept being harsher and harsher, like, guys, you can't, you can't be doing this. You can't be like following after the example of the other nations. So they kind of went to the other extreme and wanted nothing to do with the other nations. And to this day, uh, it's actually very hard to convert to Judaism. Did you know that? Yeah, I think I knew that. Yes. Yeah, in fact, in fact I think you have to knock. I was, I was told you have to knock on a rabbi's door three times, and he has to refuse well, refuse you three times, which means you got to knock four times before you're finally accepted. And so it's you know the, they didn't really see see this as evangelist as an evangelizing religion, you know something that you just kind of we're the chosen people and we keep that chosen. But that we this feast kind of blows it out of the water with Epiphany. So tell us. In Epiphany, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, what is the story of Epiphany? Well, could we do the gospel reading? We can. We can read, read straight Sunday? from Sunday, Matthew two, Matthew yeah. chapter two. Sure. You're looking at me. Should I read it? Or? Sure. You think you should read it? Okay. I'm sure the priest here. <laughs> That's true. I guess I do read it liturgically. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet and you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out, and behold, the star that they had seen at his rising preceded them, until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. I feel like Father Mike Schmitz, Bible in a year. (laughs) (laughs) 
almost as many downloads. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. So let's pick that apart. All right. So so who are the magi? Are they kings? I don't think we know if they're kings or not. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Magi is actually where we get the word magic from because they were astrologers. They were not sorcerers, too strong a word, but you know, people who uh, were in the mystical realm, perhaps Zoroastrian priests. Zor- Zoroastrianism was a monotheistic religion in the Middle East, Far East, like India, Indus Valley region, uh, in Mesopotamia, Babylon, that area. So they believed in one God, but it wasn't the God of Abraham. Uh, following after Zoroaster. So these are probably priests from that religion. Now, the question is, how many were there? Well, you know, I guess legend tells us it's three because three gifts were given. Yes, and here's the quiz question. Do you know their names? Yes. What are they? Gold, frankincense, and... No, no, the people. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Balthazar, Africa, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure who's They'd be where. familiar if I... Uh, oh. Casper. Caspar, yeah. And Mel... Melchior. You Melchior? CMB. Yeah, CMB, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so actually art portrays them as being from different lands, but they were clearly not all from different lands because they were from the East. Africa's in the West. Oh. Jerusalem. It wouldn't be in the South? Or South, South and West, yeah. But it only says they came from the east. Right? That's true. I, mean, I guess they took a circuitous route. But I think, yeah, we've got we've got kind of like oral tradition here, uh, and we really have like what what what's probably more historically accurate. I think they were Zoroastrian priests from Babylon, which makes sense if you consider how they would even know about this newborn king. Well. Israel was in Babylon for 70 years as exiles. And when, even after they returned, many of them stayed in Babylon. It's called the diaspora, the scattering of all the the Jewish tribes. And so certainly they would have known and and their pagan neighbors then would have heard about this Messiah, this long-awaited king of kings that's going to come. And so these magi are clearly, they're astrologers, they're watching the sky, they're waiting for, and they had heard about this prophecy about this king Mm -hmm. of kings. And, And it's actually a prophecy from a book of the Bible from Numbers. So there's this guy named Balaam. Who, have you ever heard of that story of Balaam? Yes. Do you know it? I mean, I did Bible in a year, Father Mike. Ah, uh, once think, again, yeah. he trumps us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not recalling it completely though. So Balaam was this guy who uh, basically was hired by this king. He was a prophet. He was hired by this king to go curse Israel as Israel's wandering in the desert. And right, and then he can't curse. Them. Balaam's like, "Ah, oh, God bless you." Yeah, <laughs> and his his the guy who's paying him is like, "No, that's not a curse," you know. So he's like, "Come to this different different place," and then different place, and he, he ended up saying, "You know, I see a star rising from this people," and so that's kind of where that that prophecy of the star is coming from. So, is there any like historical evidence that that like actually happened? That there was like a super super bright star of Bethlehem? Yes. There tell, is. I tell think, us more. Uh, is it 6 BC? Jupiter and Saturn came together. Oh, okay. Okay. Forming this, you know, bright star, or it could have been a nova, a new star. Mm. So we do have historical evidence of astrology. No, astronomy. Astronomy. <laughs> astrology is the bad one. Exactly. That's like seeking That's the why future I'm like in the trying stars. Trying to keep the difference. But um, yeah, so it's 
very possible, and I think that makes a lot of sense. It's fitting for how God works, right? If he's appealing to astrologers who study the earth, right, the universe as best they can, um, God knows how to reach each one of us, right? So he uses his means um, through astrology, through the planets, right, to lead them to what they were seeking for, which they probably didn't even know, right? They didn't know what they were seeking. They wanted truth, but they didn't know that truth was going to be a newborn baby. Right. Very true. You know, what you said reminded me of a quote, and I had to look it up, uh, from a guy named Werner Heisenberg, who was a, a Nobel uh, laureate, so I guess a Nobel Prize winner in 1932. He's father of quantum mechanics. And here's his quote, which I think is so cool and really connects well with this. The first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist. But at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. Mm. It's this idea that like, you know, God uses the natural sciences and, and the stars and astronomy to, to draw you to himself. Mm-hmm. I also think it's fitting, fitting that um, a, natural, a natural phenomenon like this would occur at Jesus's birth, right? Just like we had an eclipse at his death. That's kind of true, yeah. As he is the light of the world, it's only fitting that a new light mm. would come about. It's another level. Yeah. <laughs> another level. I think you can also draw the parallel to our own lives in terms of how God often uses the things of creation to draw us to himself, you know? So it may not be a star, but think of the sort of the, the guiding lights in your life, uh, priests, family members, you know, parents, friends, um, you know, I'm sure everyone has sort of a different um, come to Jesus moment and story. Um, but yeah, he uses the, it's not all, um, yeah, it's, it's often just very non-extraordinary. Ordinary. Yeah, not mystical or anything. Yeah, ordinary means of drawing us to himself. I remember I was hiking with some buddies in college one time, and uh, I had a friend who was particularly devout, and he, he said, Man, the sky reminds me of Mary. I was like, what? He's like, it's all blue, like Mary's blue. And, and it covers from end to end, like Mary's love covers the entire world. But she always lets the sun shine through. <laughs> At the time, I was like, that's super hokey, you know? But it's actually really profound to use the created order to remind you of the eternal reality. That's kind of cool, yeah. St. Francis did that. Famous Canticle of the Sun, right? You know, Brother Sun reminds him of this, Brother Moon, Sister Moon. Etc. So let's talk about Epiphany's uh, traditions. Do you have any traditions of Epiphany? Well, I know I don't do it personally, or my parents never did it growing up, but people have the tradition of chalking their houses. Sure, sure. Epiphany. So it's like the blessing of the chalk that I think was typically historically done on Epiphany Sunday, right? And then uh, I believe that priests used to come to people's homes to bless them, but obviously as congregations grew and, you know, their capacity was, uh, you know, can't get around to 2,000 yeah. families. Yeah. So I think, you know, families have the ability to just use the blessed chalk and inscribe above, um, above their doors. I think you start with the, what, the first two digits of the year and then C M B. Yes. Which can stand for Caspar Melchior Balthazar, but can also stand for Christus Mansion and Benedicat. Which Christ means be with us. Christ bless this house. Christ bless this house. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm not sure why the the wise men would bless the house. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, Lauren has participated in it. One of our friends does a epiphany cake. I, I'm not sure what it's called, the king's cake with oh, a little baby inside. A little baby inside? Yeah. I do that. Do you do that? <laughs> yeah. There's a few ways to make it, and one is the dough comes 
like uh, there's yeast in it. It's bread dough, so it has to rise, and then you roll it out, and then there's a layer of cream cheese with cinnamon sugar, Ooh. and then the whole thing gets rolled, mm. and then creates an oval, and then um, you bake it, obviously. Then you put in the baby Jesus, and then you do three colors, typically, green, gold, and purple for the three kings. Mm. So we've done this like many years um, in my family, but on New Year's Day, because that's when we all get together. And it's fun. I think my mom just found a recipe and wanted to try it. Okay. So we did, and we're a pretty animated bunch, so there's a lot of cheering that goes on, and it's What do you fun. win if you get the baby? Well, I think it's prosperity for the year. Oh, okay, so you don't win a prize. you're supposed or... to bring the cake the next year, but no one ever does, Father Jesus. <laughs> it's always me that bakes it again. It must be so good. It is good, yeah. Good. I see. I've had that for Mardi Gras. Yeah, I Which think it's um, customary to do that. I think that's also customary in New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. They, they make it up through Mardi Gras, right? Oh, okay. This is their okay. Carnival season. Yeah, that yeah. they celebrate. Which I always love the name Carnival. You know what that it means in in Latin? Goodbye, meat. <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> you know, carne, vale, car- oh, okay. meat's going. <laughs> so getting rid of all the meat before Lent. Which interesting, in, I didn't know that. In the old days, you had to eat all the meat. You had to eat all the meat. Mm-hmm. Because you couldn't eat any meat for 40 days. Mm-hmm. Good for McDonald's fish Time sandwiches. Time to feast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know some families give uh, gifts on Epiphany instead of Christmas, which is fitting. Some yeah. cultures, right? Some cultures, yeah. yeah. Just like the three wise men brought gifts. The children get gifts, I believe. Yeah. You got to yeah. wait another 12 days you know, after Christmas. Did you guys do that growing up? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we couldn't wait. Father Joseph couldn't wait. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I think it's more popular in Hispanic cultures, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest. But so I am curious if you had shown up on that day, all the way back, you know, and what what gifts would you have brought to baby Jesus? Oh, back then, I mean, what what would we even have to give? I mean, a drummer Something boy just that we brought prepared? a drum. Well, it's a baby, though. I know. Like, who's bringing a drum to a baby? Like, Mary's like, I just got him to sleep. Yeah, if anything, probably, I don't know, food for Mary and Joseph. Yeah, some, Maybe a blanket? Very practical. I, I, yeah, <laughs> what, what would you have? Yeah, I don't know. And also, you know, if we go back, how do the Magi know that Jesus is the king? Right? Ah. What makes them bend their knee and prostrate and give him these gifts? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Because, well, I you know, I wonder... I mean, they had a different understanding of who Jesus was going to be versus the Jews. Because I mean, what, was, what was the Jewish idea of the Messiah? King. Political savior. leader. Yeah, yeah, political leader. who's going to redeem you know, the politics. So that's why to say he's God wasn't really necessarily in their, their like, worldview of like, this is who the Messiah is going to be. So I think maybe because they didn't have that view, and maybe they also had, perhaps had a view. Um, I, I don't know if this is the case. So I'm just speculating. But, um, you know, a lot of other religions believe that their leaders are gods, mm. right? I mean, I mean, Caesar took to himself the title Dominus Deus, Lord and God, which is why it's so, you know, shocking when St. Paul said, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's kind of a bold statement. So maybe they're just saying, well, this guy's a leader, so therefore he must be a god. And probably also surprising to have your leader, King God, be a baby, you know? yeah. But especially one born in such humble circumstances. Mm-hmm. You'd expect one in, in a palace, which is why they went first to Herod. Well, I was listening to Father Chris Alar, 
Divine Mercy. And he said, when they saw the child with Mary, his mother, they knew. And that is the line. Huh. Yeah. In the passage. I've actually heard that in terms of it was Mary that made it clear to them that it was Jesus. That's interesting. That's interesting. Hmm. I never, I've never thought about that before. Yes, because kings used to visit King Solomon, right? Who's King Solomon with? His queen mother. Right, right? The mother is queen, yeah. and they would petition the mother in order to reach the king. Mm-hmm. But still you wonder, how did they know? How did they know Mary was queen mother? I don't, I, you know, I, I think I've shared on this this. Uh, this show before that one of the most powerful books I ever read was the life of Mary, according to the mystics. Mm. And one of the things they kind of point out there was that Mary didn't act like the regular, a regular woman. Yeah. You know, she had that supernatural reality about her. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe some people have been in the presence of mother Teresa say that they can just feel and sense mm. something very different about her. And so perhaps that's the same with Mary. You, you go into her presence and you're like, Whoa, there's something totally, she's not just some random Lady. Yeah, and you even sense that with holy, you know, holy people. It's just or certain people that you interact with that. Wow, there's something special about them, and it's the relationship with the Lord. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the truth. It's absolutely the truth. At and least in my experience, it's completely fitting, right? If Mary yeah. is full of grace and without sin, she would absolutely be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even and so even people who are secular can notice that, mm-hmm. see that, and be drawn to it. And, yeah, or even uh, like religious sisters, right? They just live this joy that you just see, you like it radiates from them. And I also heard uh, recently that when you live virtue, you're healthier, right? Hmm. Like these sisters that have been in convents for years, they don't age the same way. And I think it makes total sense, yeah. right? And if we live vice, vices age us. They harm the body, right? But when sure. you live pure virtue, your body is like restored and kept and, you know. Body and soul are integrated, yeah. Exactly, which I find so amazing how God does that. My body and soul. I was uh, reading this story, a true story, I guess, about a a woman, high, you know, hard driving, uh, you know, type A personality from New York City who just was so stressed out about life. She was an executive and everything. So she decided she was going to take a little religious retreat. So she went to this retreat center. Mm -hmm. And she was so struck by this one particular nun who just sort of had this, this beautiful complexion. And she's trying to figure out, like, does she use creams? Does she use, you know, what does she do? Exfoliate? Like, mm-hmm. what, does, what does she do for her skin? What's her secret? And, yeah, what's the secret? And at the end of the retreat, you know, when they could finally talk again, she went up to the sister and said, sister, you are so beautiful. Like, what do you do? And the sister said, oh, she was genuinely surprised. And the sister said, I'm, I'm beautiful? Aww. She says, well, yeah, of course you're beautiful. And the other sister said, I haven't seen my reflection in 20 years. Mm. That's remarkable, right? I mean, she clearly she didn't care about, no, not not overly care about her reflection. And she said that as a penance, she would walk past mirrors and look to the ground and not not mm. look at herself. And that's actually what paradoxically made her more beautiful. Kind of interesting. Yeah, that's there. so good. <laughs> I cannot say I'm there, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, when you live in the world, you have to look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to those gifts of yeah, gold, frankincense, definitely. and myrrh. What is the cir- significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? King, God, man. Tell us more. <laughs> well, gold is fitting for a king, True. right? So I just think this is so amazing. Um, right after Jesus' birth, God tells us everything we need to know about who he is, mm. right? And he proclaims it to the wisest men of that day. 
Yeah. Right. So anyone that would come later and question this, which happened, right? How could he be God and man? He couldn't, right? He wasn't. No, God already showed us that he is just through these gifts, which I never knew that as a kid, right? I've heard this reading so many times in my life sitting in church and you just like, what are these things? I don't know. Maybe priests have preached on it and I just <laughs> zoned out. I don't know. Um, but I, I think it's amazing. So frankincense, a priest would use, correct? Right. And Jesus is the high priest. And then myrrh is for burial. Mm-hmm. Jesus would die. I mean, his, I guess, main purpose in life was to die, to rise again. Yeah, right? very to much show so. us um, heaven and eternal life. So his whole life, too, is, I think, foretold right here. Yeah. I, too, I was researching this, this past Advent, uh, the, the origin of the name of Mary. And Mary has a couple different etymologies, but one of the etymology is bitterness, from which we get the word myrrh. Myrrh, uh-huh. Mary, it's, it's very similar root, I guess, in Egyptian, Coptic, whatever, you know, whatever language they were speaking back then. And uh, I think it's so fitting, you know, because Mary is the queen of sorrows, you know, the sorrowful, yes. sorrowful mother. She participated in that bitter myrrh. And she suffered so much of her life. Yeah. Since the presentation in the temple and every Friday after Jesus' death that she lived she relived the um, crucifixion again in her heart. Yes, and in one of the one of the things that they said in that book, uh, The Life of Mary, is that after Christ ascended into heaven, she would actually make the Stations of the Cross every day when she lived in Jerusalem. She would walk that uh, same path. I every can't. Day. Can you imagine? That's uh, like I. How do? How did she endure that? Yeah, that'd be tough considering like, she saw it. Like, right. It's one thing to imagine it in your mind, but. That's one thing that I find hard. Like, we are joyful Catholics, but Jesus is suffering all the time, right? His heart is suffering all the time from all these souls that have left him. And the the representation of the cross is ongoing, right? And yeah. so, like, any time that you want to draw into that suffering, you can and you should, and we're supposed to do that. Um, and I think that helps. That provides grace to other souls, but it's hard. Sure. It's hard to do that. And Mary did it, I think, kind of endlessly. Very much so, yeah. Well, she she was the mother of the one, and then she became the mother of the many. So, I mean, it, there's obviously self-sacrifice in that, but because of, you know, because of her surrender, she becomes the mother of us all. And so I think there is a joy in having spiritual children. Yeah, a joy, but also a suffering. Yeah, you know, cause she I has, mean, she has it to came bring, at a cost. She has to bring Christ to birth in you and I. Mm-hmm. Some of us are more stubborn than others. <laughs> right. How about everyone that rejects Christ? Yeah. Yeah, so she feels that pain too. I think there's a lot of spiritual fruit that can be drawn from these three gifts that we're given, just in terms of, you know, like how we're called to make an offering of our whole selves and our lives to God that are not our lives aren't about ourselves. I think you draw that either from gold or from the myrrh in terms of, you know, like the burial aspect, but... um you know, we're not the we're not the stars of the show. It's it's God's play, and we kind of we have to figure out what our role is in that. So, um, yeah, I just think that there's a lot of good fruit for meditation there, in terms of a lot of times we think that we want things to go a certain way or life to play out in certain circumstances. But I think just being willing to kind of say yes to whatever God asks us to do with joy like Mary did, you know, like, I don't think it would have mattered. Whatever God asked of her, she was joyful about it. So um, I think that is something that I think about a lot, especially recently. 
something you said triggered an idea that might be my epiphany homily this year. Oh, wow. Go on. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you the credit. But, <laughs> but as wise Diane said, <laughs> no, so, so gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? So we can give God our gold by really cons- consecrating to him our possessions and our money. You know, by, by using it all for his glory. We give him our frankincense because that's, that's a symbol of worship. And we owe it to him to worship, to give him that time of, you know, Christ, I'm going to give you this time of prayer and this time of, of you know, of love. And myrrh is to offer Christ our sufferings. Jesus, I suffer this for, for love of you. And in doing so, I think we can offer that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yeah, and totally Just thought of that on the spot. Uh, Thanks to Diane. You, you, nailed it. you nailed it. That is going to hit. All right? <laughs> no, it's great. I mean... We, the, I think the, right, we owe everything to God. And so what we can give him as a gift is our, our free will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And saying yes to whatever, whatever he's asking us. And, you know, the resurrection only comes through the cross, but, um, and you think, yeah. You think about what he offered to the, the Magi, right? They offered gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God offered himself. Mm-hmm. They got God out of the deal, mm-hmm. all right? A, a faith in God, a worship in God, a hope of everlasting life. That's actually way better than even gold, frankincense, and myrrh, mm-hmm. what they got. Yeah, I mean, it gives an eternal perspective to everything because ultimately we get God if we follow his commandments, yeah. right? And yeah. eternal life awaits us. So there's definitely a joy in that. At least there's a peace in that in terms of like for people who are trying to figure out their vocations or working through financial difficulties, you know, marriage problems, kid problems, whatever that is, to keep that eternal perspective that ultimately we get God, you know? Um, but he is the director of the show and we just have to, Figure out what our part is and play it well. Yeah. Post acting like little children and trying to fight against his what he's actually calling us to. Amen. There's one last thing that uh, always strikes me in this reading, and that is that after they encounter Jesus, they don't return home the same way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you guys watch The Chosen. Yes. One of the great lines of the first episode ever was, you know, someone stops Mary Magdalene and says, you know, what what's changed? She says, well, I was one way, and now I'm a different way, and what was in between was him kind of that idea of like totally they've been changed because mm-hmm. you've encountered Jesus. I don't know. I just want to reflect yeah, on that. So, <laughs> well, I think this is key. Are you going to go on the different path once you've encountered Christ? Or are you going to go back to the old path? I think that's really the hard part because the world wants to pull you down, right? And bring you back to worldly things, your old ways. The devil's going to come for you with those old temptations or tell you, you can't do it. You're not cut out, but can you persevere? you know, on the harder path, right? The thorny path that leads to heaven with suffering. Right. Can we? Well, only by God's grace. Only by God's grace. That's the challenge. And his grace can change us like it changed these these magi who were completely different when they came back. Yeah, and do you want to accept that grace? Yeah, yeah. And we have to seek it through the sacraments, you know, conversion, prayer, mortification. Exactly. It doesn't just come to us. So here's an interesting trivia question for you. Do you know where the relics of Caspar, Melchior, and Belshazzar are? Balthazar? No. They're in the cathedral in Cologne, Germany. Because when they had World Youth Day in Cologne, that was one of the big things is people went to go and visit uh, those, uh, those relics there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Wikipedia tells all. <laughs> That's so cool that we have them. <laughs> We don't know exactly what happened to them afterwards. Uh, there was, um, you know, some speculation that maybe they were martyrs. Maybe because okay. hmm. why not? 
but that's where they are then the Cologne Cathedral. So you can go if you ever go to so Cologne. So if anyone's interested. Yeah. Or if anyone doubts that the three wise men came and encountered Christ. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely that's a historical. Good. historical. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good indication. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do, we do have some amazing relics in our church. You know, and I, 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 I'm a skeptic by nature, but I keep hearing stories of like, you know, people bringing relics of, um, you know, St. Joseph's cloak, which I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know if that's real. And then they bring it to an exorcism and the demon goes wild. And oh, like, really? That's him. So cool. Or Mary's <laughs> like, veil. Oh, boy. A piece of Mary's veil. Yeah, I think St. John's Basilica has a piece, doesn't don't they? I know it came to St. John's Basilica, a part of that 150 relics tour Okay. from a couple years ago. Yeah. But that one was one that I was like, is this really Mary's veil? How do we have this, right? It's amazing. As my church history professor used to say, if it ain't true, it ought to be. That's St. Right. Jude's arm was making his way around the U.S. Did you guys go and like, see it when it came to I Connecticut? No, it was in Trumbull. Yeah, it was at my next door neighbor parish. I boycotted it. What? Really? Because my parish is St. Jude's and we asked for oh, the arm. that's right. And they you said, no, we're not giving it to you. We'll give it to St. Teresa's. And we're like, what? We're named St. Jude's. It's our 50th anniversary as a parish. We are not wow. going. Wow, what a slap in the face. Yeah, it's actually, it was probably a, for the better because I think like thousands of people went yeah. and I don't think our church was big enough to host yeah, that's probably thousands why. of saints uh, who, you, you know, probably so it's probably a blessing in disguise but nevertheless in their wisdom I'm still a little salty they brought it to the nearby church they did they <laughs> did <laughs> Anyway, so thanks for joining us, and uh, please go and celebrate this feast, whether yeah. you exchange gifts, whether you give some gold to the church. No. <laughs> or just go to Mass. Or just go, to, yeah, go right? to Mass, make some king cake. Have a nice meal with your family. Yes. Put some chalk over your front door. Yeah, and bless your house with the chalk. Lots of great traditions to celebrate. And most importantly, do the interior work of offering the Lord your life to bring Him the gifts that you are, so you can receive the gift that He is. Tune in next time to Restless on Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in. God bless. Hey, everybody. This is producer Matt. If you liked this week's episode of Restless and want to help the show grow, please rate us, review us, and subscribe on your preferred platform. God bless.